chapter 5, verse 16. It says, For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus. So when we say for this reason, it was that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but that, uh, but what he sees the father do, and whatever he does... The Son also does in like manner, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So the beginning of a, a, a dialogue of the Lord rebuking the religious leaders. So what he does is he's presenting things to them here, and, and some uh, he's going to lay out a lot. There's a lot for us to cover in verses 16 through 47 uh, that, that Jesus is setting the record straight for these religious leaders that had made their life about the Scriptures. And But what we'll see at the end of it is that they made their lives and they searched the scriptures believing that they would have life in them, but those scriptures point to Jesus and they reject Jesus. That's The whole thing is going to be Jesus explaining all of this to them, that you have the scriptures right in front of you and they tell you these things or you may have this belief. And Jesus is just setting the record straight all the way through this conversation through the rest of chapter 5. Uh, chapter five. So it starts off in verse 16 uh, explaining that uh, because it was a Sabbath they, that he healed the man, they wanted to kill him. Now, uh, it says in the beginning of, of, of verse 16 that they were, were now persecuting Jesus. Now, persecution, according to the Holman Bible, uh, says, is harassment and suffering which people and institutions inflict upon others for, uh, for being different in their faith, worldview, culture, or race. So persecution seeks to intimidate, silence, punish, or even kill people. So if we're unfamiliar with what persecution is, that's the biblical definition. Uh, so I, I would encourage you, if you're looking up, um, if you're looking up anything in the Bible and you, you want to understand a specific word or a topic, use Bible dictionaries. Use those things that the Lord, because I, we may read Webster's Dictionary or whatever, and that's good for certain things, but when it comes to the scriptures, we should rely on those uh, those uh, resources available to us. If you don't have those printed off in your, in your house, if you don't have a, uh, a Bible dictionary or uh, any of those types of things, blueletterbible.com. Just go there, type in wherever you're looking, and there, there's a, a button there that says tools, and it's got all kinds of resources available to you uh, as you're doing your research, as you're diving in. Uh, it's important to understand uh, certain things and to look at you know what what is persecution. Uh, persecution is because somebody believes differently than me, then I'm going to uh, intimidate, silence, punish, or even kill them. And uh, now they're persecuting Jesus. So they um, they don't understand that the one they're persecuting is the creator of all things. And uh, that they're now persecuting God because they didn't recognize him as God. They were accusing him not only of breaking the law, but also influencing others to do so. So they're saying, hey, you know what? We got to get this guy out of here. And uh, <clears throat> they're, they're assuming that, this, that Jesus led this man into sin by telling him to carry his bed on the Sabbath when it was really the opposite. He was delivering him from sin and from the bondage of his sin uh, when the man was healed at the pool. So it's a complete opposite. They don't, they don't understand. Instead of celebrating that this man was healed, they're more worried about the, the, uh, the I being dotted and the T being crossed and, uh, and their own things. Now, uh, we're going to go into a pretty in-depth study of the Sabbath. And uh, just discuss what that is. Uh, it's a fourth commandment of the great uh, Ten Commandments. And uh, Exodus 20, you can find it there. It's, it's designed to provide man a day of rest from work. Now, understand when the scriptures say in Genesis that God rested from his work, it's not because he was tired. It's because he was done. 
uh, the, the Lord is, he's, he's uh, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't run out of power. and doesn't run out of strength. He rested because his work was finished. Man, however, needs to rest. We need to rest. Man, woman, mankind needs to rest. We do need to rest. Um, so it, there's, there's, uh, we have two days off here in America, mostly. You know, Monday through Friday is usually the work day, and we have the weekends off. And uh, Just an understanding of where this comes from. Exodus 23, verse 12 says, Six days you shall do work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, that the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. So Israel and their rebellion uh, failed to honor the Sabbath. Nehemiah 13, 15 says, In those days, Nehemiah writing, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burden, uh, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Jeremiah 17, 21 23, and 23, or through 23 says, Thus says the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. So what we're seeing here is a disregard for God's command by the children of Israel. They were given these commandments, and they're disregarding it. So those are two, just two different accounts. There are several different ones. Uh, those are ones that, that uh, you know, popped up to me uh, as I was uh, putting my notes together and, and uh, going through these things. So an observation of the Sabbath at this point, uh, as we're reading here, in John chapter 5 had become extra biblical. So Jewish scholars uh, created 39 separate categories of what work means. Within those 39, uh, there were many subcategories. Uh, so to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there were literally thousands of rules uh, to follow. So including you know, how many steps you could take, how many letters you could write down on the Sabbath. Here are a couple examples of things that were that were either greatly limited or forbidden writing erasing or tearing conducting business transactions shopping cooking baking kindling a fire gardening doing laundry laundry carrying anything for more than 6 feet in public area moving anything with your hand moving anything with your hand it says um, even dire indirectly with a broom so if you move anything, even indirectly with a broom, a broken bowl. So you got glass on the floor, you know, a, a flowers in a, flowers in a vase, uh, candles on a table, raw food, a rock, a button that's fallen off. You could move things with your elbow or with your breath, but you couldn't with your hand. Okay. So this is just a partial list. Like if you do it with your elbow, you're good. So you see everybody walking around like this, doing what they needed to do, right? So it's become very, uh, some, it's become very extra biblical. So these extra laws were based on the Mishnah. Now the the written law is the Torah. Those are the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, the Mishnah and uh, Gemara, Gemara uh, are two uh, compilations of oral explanations or debates of how to interpret the the written law. So there's the Torah, and then there's the Mishnah and the Gemara. I'm going to call it the Gemara. Um, so the compilation of uh, the these Jewish leaders had put these things together. The Mishnah was teachings from A.D. 70 to 200, and the, the Gemara teachings were from uh, A.D. 200 to 500-600 area uh, time frame. So they were oral interpretations of the Torah. Uh, the Torah contained 613 laws. The, the Mishnah had grown to thousands of extra-biblical laws in addition to 613 of them. So there's just law upon law and rule, and it continued to grow uh, with several different teachers and and over the years and uh, different interpretations. So there are constantly arguments uh, happening. Well, can we do this? Can we do that? And uh, you know, do this, don't do that. It became such a burden, and it was about religious laws and not having a relationship with God. You can see how those heavy burdens uh, would would make people believe that you know is it can we can we even know God can we can we walk with God like the scriptures say uh, back in Noah or Enoch 
that they were people that walked with God. Uh, can, can we do that anymore? Like, like what's going on? So they're just getting so uh, burdened. And uh, Matthew 23, Jesus uh, addresses, addresses this in verses 1 through 4. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. Lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So Jesus is, is speaking here that uh, they, they have heaped so much on everybody else, but they themselves aren't willing to dive into this stuff even themselves. They're, they're bearing, they're just loading these burdens on people. And uh, you know, what, is, what does Jesus say? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's, you know, in uh, when they would hear that, oh, wow, the burden, the burden that I'm being, that they're just heaping up. Can you imagine if we came here every Sunday and it's just browbeating all the time? How excited are we going to be to come to church? If I'm just up here railing, just, you know, you got this and that. How come this wasn't done? And, you know, how come, you know, I'm not driving a 2022 you know, Lamborghini, you know, all these things. And the, how, how likely are we going to be joyful to go to church? How likely are we going to be joyful to do things in obedience to the Lord, to lift our voices? You know, imagine the song. Oh, oh wait, um, you know, they're going to cattle prod me if I don't sing. You know, is that from a joyful heart or is that because I'm being forced to do it? So that's what's happened is there these these people were just so burdened with everything. And Jesus is correcting it, correcting them and putting everything back in the proper order. And it, it, when he says something like that, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them uh, with one of their fingers. It's too good for that. You know, let everybody else work and, and, and do those things. So now regarding the, the Sabbath, uh, you know, should Christians uh, be observing the Sabbath? If you look at Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, there's the discussion there with the church leaders of how they should instruct Gentile Christians, like what do we, what do we tell them to do? What do, what do they need to do? What do they need to be obedient to, uh, in order to uh, to grow and, and and be in right standing with with the Lord? Uh, how should they conduct themselves and not walk in sin? And uh, they came to uh, the, some basics. They came to abstaining from idols, from sexual immorality, from the uh, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So those things that might have been involved in uh, idol worship, you know, those types of things. So they, they come up with those. The Sabbath isn't addressed. Uh, and, you know, if it was absolutely essential, the Sabbath uh, would have been included. So uh, as we know, uh, many of us here, everybody here knows that we celebrate uh, the Lord's resurrection together on the first day of the month, the, sab of the week. Uh, the Sabbath is the last day of the week. So Saturday is really when the week ends. And Sunday, if you look at the calendar, I know we call this the weekend, uh, here in America, but it, Monday isn't the start of the week. It's the start of the work week. But if you look at the calendar, every it starts on Sunday and ends on Saturday, right? So, so we're actually, this is the first day of the week. I like to look at it that way because we are gathering together and lifting our voices and hearts and we're getting fed on the first day of the week. Not that this should be the only day that we're being fed. We should be eating ourselves at home, opening the scriptures up, praying to the Lord and practicing our faith by ourselves. But corporately, we're all getting together and starting the week as they did back in, in Acts or 1 Corinthians. You can read that they met uh, on the Lord's Day, the first day. So uh, as, we're, as we're discussing this, uh, you, know, you consider the Christian church, we meet corporately on the first day, worshiping God and celebration of him. We can do that. Uh, it's a great way to start our week, that we together set our week straight by, uh, by worshiping the Lord. So regarding a requirement or not to observe the Sabbath, it's important for us to not get pharisaical and, and legalistic about the, the Sabbath, a day of rest. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17 say, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Don't get all wrapped up in all those things. The substance, uh, those are shadows. Those are, those are things that have a meaning, but they point to Christ, that Christ is the one we're supposed to focus on. Instead of getting all wrapped up in this and that and the other thing, Paul's writing uh, to the church in, in Colossae saying, hey, 
your focus should be on Christ. Romans 14 uh, verse 5 says, One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So as Christians, if you're one that just says, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take Saturdays, and I'm going to... Um, I'm going to observe the Sabbath, and I'm going to do those things. And another person says, you know what? The Lord hasn't laid it on my heart. I'm not going to. One person that says what, what Paul wrote in Romans uh, 14 was, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind, whether to esteem one day above another. Um, I, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a danger in trying to take stances on certain things in the scripture and forcing that stance on others uh, over over certain things like this. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes that us read, meeting here on Sundays are, are disobeying the scripture and that Saturday is the day uh, that they're supposed to meet. Um, they do what they want. Uh, that's uh, If you look into the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, it's a cult. And uh, they 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 have extra biblical believings uh, beliefs and and uh, th that's where they're at. But we meet here on the Lord's Day, and uh, and that's the, the way we'll continue to. Uh, Paul was rebuking the church in, in Galatia, and uh, for them trying to return to the law, you know, they're trying to to cling to the law and wrap Christ in there, saying, "Hey, we need to do both here." And Paul calls them out in chapter three, verse one, and he calls them, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you?" Like, what are you doing? If you go back to chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 21, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So what they're saying is, is I can't be saved unless I'm doing, unless I'm, uh, unless I'm a Jew and I'm a Christian. So I'm observing all these things and I'm, I'm, I'm embracing Christ. And Paul's correcting them for that, saying, wait a minute. You, you can't sit here and lay the burden of the law. You've got to understand Christ fulfilled the law. He didn't make it of no, he didn't, he didn't take the law and say, no, you know, the law, the law is important and the law points us to Christ and our need for him. Uh, but to say that we all have to, okay, so where are we going to start? Okay, we got to start religiously washing our hands and we got to start avoiding these people and those things and those foods and those, that, that's, that's not what it's about. So, uh, regarding the Sabbath, I just wanted to to uh, dive into that a little bit because we we can read through some of these words. Sometimes it just kind of and if anybody's not familiar with what it is, hopefully that will uh, help you out. So, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? So Jesus is being accused of sinning on the Sabbath by healing somebody. He dealt with this uh, twice in two different accounts. Uh, so Jesus had just healed a man that had been lame for 38 years. And instead of a celebration of the healing of God that they were able to witness, they're all fired up and they want to kill Jesus for it. So the question comes, you know, is it lawful to, to do good? Especially what we see uh, them challenging Jesus in his day was, was it lawful to do good? And Jesus is setting them straight. And uh, Matthew 12 verses 10 through 14 says, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And look at the end of verse 10. I think you have it up there. That they might accuse him. Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, the law it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. This man's got a withered hand. I mean, he's sitting here, and he, he, he knows that they're all just waiting to try to lower the boom on Jesus. And he's just like, I, I imagine in his mind, he wants to look at them and say, shut up. This guy can heal me. You don't know what it's like to be me. You know, here you guys are trying to set up Jesus. And I don't know, this is, these, this is my speculation. Uh, you know, and, and Jesus wants to heal this man, and he's getting set to do it. And as he's, uh, as he's you know, they've got him there and everything, uh, they ask him, is it lawful to hear on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? They're trying to set Jesus up. And he just takes whatever they're doing, just like he turned over the tables and everything, and just, just, just flips it right over on them. And they're, oh, they don't know what to do. So they leave mad instead of, wow, 
What did we just see? You remember when Nicodemus went to Jesus and he's like, hey, you know, it, it, can we talk? Because uh, we know that you're a teacher from God because nobody can do the things that you're doing unless God is with it. You remember that, right? So they, they knew something was going, but they're challenged. They're afraid they're going to lose their power. They're afraid they're going to lose their position of power uh, in Israel, and uh, they they are standing on uh, their their own uh, traditions of men, and we'll see that also. One more account of Jesus doing good on on the uh, on the Sabbath. Verse, uh, sorry, Luke chapter fourteen, verses one through six. Now it happened as he went into the house, and one of the rulers of the Pharisee of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. They watched him closely, and behold. There was a certain man before him who had dropsy, you know, great swelling. If you look up, it's really a, 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 a very painful looking. Uh, people swell up so much. There's so much pain there. And uh, Jesus answer, answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Sabbath? But they kept silent. So here they go. They're watching him closely. And then Jesus knows they're watching him. And he's, he's talking to him and nobody will talk back. And, uh, he, and he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered, saying to them, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Same type of situation. Uh, and they could not answer him regarding these things. The Lord isn't, isn't tied to whatever day it is. You know, the Lord does what he wants. And uh, the Lord wants to heal on a Tuesday morning. He can do it. He wants to heal on a Saturday. He's going to do it. That's it's the Lord. Jesus Christ goes to make the claim that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And we'll get into that here in just a minute. So Jesus healing on the Sabbath, a few uh, few examples of these. Uh, he, he healed Peter's mother and mother-in-law in Peter's home. And that we just read of the man with a withered hand, a man born blind in Jerusalem, a crippled woman in a synagogue. This man of the dropsy that had dropsy, a, uh, a demon possessed man in Capernaum. And we uh, also last week read of the man at the pool, uh, Bethesda. And, uh, you know, so the question was in his day, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Jesus showed, yes, it was. And he even, you know, talks about animals being stuck and, and those things. And uh, what the problem was is that they and their tradition had, uh, had lost uh, what the meaning of the Sabbath was. And it was supposed to give them rest. And God created the Sabbath for man and not man for the Sabbath. I know I've, I've shared that with, uh, with us a few times, and that's from Mark 2, that man wasn't created to be a robot on a specific day or whatever, but that's, that was set so that man can rest. So Jesus, in stating that he's Lord of the Sabbath, proclaimed that he's the one who exercises the authority uh, even over the rules and regulations that govern the Sabbath. Now, the religious leaders had made themselves the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, you know, and Jesus set the record straight. You know, he, he said the, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So uh, this uh, this uh, was said in, in the religious leaders. So um, when, when he said that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, the religious leaders in uh, Matthew 12, Mark 2, and Luke 6 were challenging him. Uh, so you can find that uh, regarding his disciples, you know, whether they could pluck grain as they walked. And uh, Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And you know, he, he's the one. Uh, so this is a, a direct claim to deity. There's, there's often the, the, the um, misconception uh, that uh, you, would, you would hear uh, specifically the Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, he most definitely did. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, that's dead on right there. Okay, so how do we get around that? What 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 you know, monkey gymnastics do we need to do to try to explain that away? As as cults need to do because they're 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 messing with the truth of the scripture. They can't do that. You know, Jesus flat out, flat out, and not only that, but if you look through the book of John, John John in writing, it would be blasphemy if Jesus was not God, and John calls him God. And then we see, okay, so is somebody who's blaspheming going to be uh, one that's used mightily by the Lord and, and to write something like the book of Revelation that we can look at? That was John writing it and a glimpse into heaven. The Lord's not going to give a deceiver and a blasphemer those things to, to lead the church away. Jesus is God. And when he's making that claim to, to deity, uh, you know, Jesus said that he has uh, the authority to know if his disciples had broken the Sabbath or not because he was the Lord of the Sabbath. 
So the Pharisees hated Jesus, which meant they hated God, uh, whom they claimed to know and serve and love. And uh, they were deceived by their own deeds, their traditions, and, and pride. They held fast to the letter of their own law and rejected the one that gave them the true law. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, they didn't like Jesus healing the lame on the, on the Sabbath, so they sought to take his life. We read that. We're in verse 1 still, I realize, or the first verse we read, verse 16. I know we're still there. I'm five pages into my notes. We're almost a half hour into this. I understand we've read one verse. We're going to get through the rest of it. The Lord will. But it's important to understand what's happening, understand the setting, because if we don't understand the setting, we're not going to get the rest of it. So the reason they're so violent about this is because they have a warped understanding of the Sabbath and who they are and who Jesus is. So this whole conversation that comes later is, and, and we're pretty much going to read a little bit of commentary, read a little bit of commentary. We're just going to go through it because what we see here is Jesus is setting the record straight on a lot of different things. And he's teaching them that what they think they know, they don't know, and uh, that they're missing the, the biggest parts. Jesus told them that they were of the father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. And we see that in their conduct. They see that this man's healed and all they want to do is murder him. Then Jesus really stirs the pot in verse 17 and gets them all fired up and they saw it all the more, right? So it's just so their, their wicked and prideful hearts uh, had, had become such a stumbling block to themselves. Uh, and what we can see in the scriptures, this is the beginning of 18 months of them pursuing Jesus, trying to kill him. And it, 18 months later is when he would be crucified. And he went. He, he laid his life down. It wasn't like everybody overpowered him and forced him onto the cross. He submitted his will to the Father, and to the Father's will, and uh, went went to the cross obediently. So it's not like these guys finally got him and everything. Remember when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and everybody's like falling down when when he's talking to him. You know he had the power. And Jesus said, "I have the power. I could call down legions of angels to save me." But Jesus knew he came here on a mission. So these guys, they they have murderous hearts. They have prideful hearts and all these things. They're, 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 they're so hard-hearted that they don't understand. Even when they see somebody made whole after 38 years with no hope, he couldn't get into the, into the pool fast enough. So as the opportunity to be healed uh, would come, and we, did, we discussed that, whether it was perception or, or if the angels did stir the water, we, you know, that's, that's for a whole different uh, study. But ultimately, this man was asked by Jesus, do you want to be healed? And he said, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he does. And Jesus heals it. Instead of celebrating, they want to kill the one who healed the man. I just, I, I couldn't imagine it. 38 years, I'm 43. And I, I couldn't imagine that from uh, being five years old until now getting healed and then somebody being like, all right, who did that? Who did that? We're going to take them out. Let's find them. Let's get our torches and pitchforks back then. And we're going to go get them. You know, we're going to go track them down and we're going to take them out. How foolish that is. But it was it was religious. It was religiosity is really, if that's a word, you know, that they're 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 all fired up in their own eyes of, of what's right in their own eyes that they can't recognize God working as he did as he did. They were so spiritually blind. So this is one of the accounts. Uh, this is starting the account of Jesus setting the record straight with the religious leaders on many things. Uh, and uh, we're going to read through the rest, the rest of them as we go here. But So uh, in verse 17, so now we're on to our second verse of the morning. Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that, that God was his father, making him equal with God. So like I said, Jesus is really stirring the pot now. This is really firing them up. They, are, they were already ready to kill him. Now it says all the more, since he said that he's making himself equal with God. There's the, another declaration. You know, I don't know what somebody would need to see written, but he's, he's constantly saying, I and my father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Right here, you know, he makes that, that, same, that same thing where he's calling God his father. And when he calls God his father, that means he's the son of God, which means he's equal to God. He carries like like a, a king. You know, if somebody, uh, the prince, when the prince would, uh, if, we're, if we're looking back in, in uh, other days, uh, they, 
uh, when the prince goes out with a declaration, that's with the authority of the king. So if we want to kind of look at this from, a, from an earthly perspective, you know, what Jesus is saying here makes him equal to God. And that's, that's what their problem is. And, uh, you know, verse 18 shows uh, what this meant. You know, there, there are many cults who, uh, like I said, try to, uh, try to nullify the deity of Christ, uh, that he never said it. And he says it all the way through. That's false. Uh, you can look at statements like I am. And uh, it just straight out. And then they're just freaking out. There were times where they start freaking out and he'd go right through the crowd and, 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 and get away. So uh, remember our study in John 1 if you really want to look at it or have a resource, a resource to share. If you need to look it up on Facebook, look it up. If you need my notes, I can email them or print them for you. Uh, that's fine. It's, it's just it's scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that show that Jesus is God in the flesh. So Jesus is either committing blasphemy and saying that he is God, or he is God, uh, actually is God. So, um, you know, the question was, you know, was was he uh, blaspheming, or was he who he claimed to be? He's either I have in here, he's either God or he's a fraud. Which one? You know, C.S. Lewis uh, put it. You know, is he Lord? Is he liar? A liar, or is he a lunatic? You can only really come to those three things. This guy's completely out of his mind. He's lying, or he is actually who he said he was. And we'll get into that here uh, with a, a uh, near the end of the chapter of who Jesus is. You know, Jesus. Uh, we I, like I just said. You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He made uh, several declarations of being equal to God. Verses nineteen through twenty-one. Jesus is explaining that he can do nothing of himself. The Son. Does what he wants to. Uh, what, sorry, the done. Uh, the son does what he sees the father do. The father loves the son and shows him all things, and and he explains to them that they're going to see greater works than these things that they may marvel. Uh, and he explains that the father raises uh, the dead. The son also has life giving power. So they had witnessed the healing of the lame. They had just seen the the the, the result of God working, and Jesus now tells them that. God will use him in even greater ways. Verses 22 through 23 that we already read. Jesus says that he's the judge and that if you honor the, you, you know, if you honor the father and the son, you have to do both. You can't hold on to one and can't say, well, I'm going to honor this one and I'm going to reject Jesus. I'm going to say, well, God is who God is, but Jesus wasn't the son of God and he isn't God in the flesh. Jesus is saying you can't do that. You know, to, to do that is saying that Jesus is now a liar, right? If you put it up against those three things, Lord, liar, lunatic, you can really, really get a lot, uh, get very deep into the scripture. So that's not how it works. According to Jesus and according to God the Father himself, you can't honor one and not the other. So if that's the case, it's a deceiving of, of self and uh, of ignoring Jesus and claiming to worship God. So uh, trying to take uh, to remove or lessen Jesus other than God the Son uh, is not biblical. So just understanding who Jesus is. So Jesus is drawing the line here, and he's relaying that all power and authority has been given to him by the Father. And he, he continues to teach them. You know, He says that he has the power to give life. And it's shown in his ministry when he rose a young girl to life, who rose Lazarus uh, back uh, from the dead. Remember when he got to, when he's explaining, he's like, hey, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. Lazarus is gone. And he, he still brings him back to life. Jesus makes several, as we read here, father-son statements, and he's teaching of his deity. He's not saying, okay, we've got to set the record straight. I'm just a good guy. I'm a moral guy. That's, uh, you know, the uh, Time, Time Magazine or whatever will just present him as a moral guy that he didn't really die. And when he came out of the tomb, he had a bunch of wives and kids and ran around the earth. And none of that's biblical at all. Jesus claimed to be God and he backed it up. He says that all judgment belongs to him. Now, Paul, uh, as he was preaching in Acts 27, he said, it says, because he has appointed a day in which... He will judge the world in righteousness. He, Jesus, uh, by the man, uh, that, that God would judge the world in righteousness by the man, by Jesus, whom he ordained. He has given assurance to uh, this, to uh, of this to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. So Jesus is making a statement that life and judgment are through him. 
verse 24 of John chapter 5 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and uh, those who hear will live. So Jesus starts this off and says, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. They passed from death to life. There's no greater improved position that we could ever have in life. There's no promotion at work. There's no promotion in church. There's nothing that would ever compare to the day that we pass from spiritual death into spiritual life. And we do that through a relationship with Christ, through having a relationship, not by following this rule and this rule and lifting up this day and that day. It's all through, do we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Do we personally have our own personal relationship with Christ? Because when we get to heaven and we're, we're, we're standing there, we want the, we're, we're, we, the scriptures say that we have an advocate before the Father and that's Christ. We want the lawyer to stand for us and say, this one's mine. This one is mine, not, hey, this person here because their grandparents followed the Lord or their parents dragged them to church and they never, they've just reject. It's, it's all about each person's individual relationship with Christ or not. That's what it's all about. Us having our own personal relationship with Christ. So salvation is found uh, uh, not only in the Father, but it's also found in the Son is, is what's being described here. That uh, you sent me has everlasting life and, and uh, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Verse 26 says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted uh, the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good and, uh, to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of, of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If you look back at 24, it says, sorry, 26, it says, for as the Father has life in himself. You know, we as human beings need so many things to keep us alive. We need air, water, food. Uh, there's so many different things. Think of the, the elements we, oh, hey, you don't have enough potassium or you have too much potassium and that can take you out. There's so many things that we need. Our, our bodies although they're very complex and, and, and amazing, can sometimes be extremely uh, uh, frail, you know? So we understanding who we are, you know? But God is self-existent. There's nothing he relies upon for life for himself, you know, which is the same for the son. So when he's saying here, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. You know, he's, and then in verse 27, he's explaining that he's been given authority to execute judgment. So there's, uh, it's important to understand this. There's this weird saying, and I just have to say this, nobody who understands the judgment of God wants judgment from God. If we truly understand what God's judgment is on us, we don't, we don't want that. We want God's grace to cover us. The, the, I just remember uh, seeing, you know, when I was uh, the late 90s and everything, this tattoo became uh, popular. Only God can judge me. And it was usually on somebody who was living a life completely contrary to the word of God. You know, only God can judge me. You don't want that. <laughs> you might want to have that tattoo removed or covered over with some flowers or something. I don't know. But that's not the one you want on there. Like, hey, I'm going to stand and, you know, God's going to judge me. You know, I no, don't go to God and say, hey, you know, uh, try to stand our own merit. We can't do that. We don't want God's judgment. We want his grace and mercy that when we come, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Because if we go on our own righteousness and we go and say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for ready for court, you know, march right up into there. Not going to like the results. You know, we don't want God to judge us. That's not what we want. We want God's grace and mercy. So when we hear that Jesus was given the authority to execute judgment, understand that if we stand in him, we don't have to fear uh, his judgment. Jesus says in verse 28, 
and 29. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in graves will hear his voice and come forth, uh, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Understanding that today Jesus is the Savior and tomorrow he'll be the judge. You know, he, he's, there, there will be a day that he will, he will judge the nations. Today is the day of salvation. Anybody who hears, hears the, the uh, salvation message and uh, hasn't accepted the Lord, do it. You know, so that he would be our savior versus our judge. We don't want him to be our judge. He's a just judge, but he's going to judge us justly, and we can't stand on our own merit. We've already discussed that. Speaking of, uh, of Jesus judging, we can. Uh, there's uh, a glimpse into that in uh, the great white throne judgment. The unbelievers being sentenced to the lake of fire for rejecting Christ and his free gift of salvation. Uh, Revelation 20, I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. I think you'll probably have them up there. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the, the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they, and they were judged, each according to his work, works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There will be a point where everybody, every knee will bow at Jesus Christ's name. There will be that point. We read, we, so I just wanted to give an example of Christ actually judging that we can see in Revelation. Now, this one that they're rejecting and questioning, what he has to say to them is, you don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> Through all these things, you have no idea who you're talking to. You don't know my father, you don't know me. You reject us both. They think they stand in the Lord. They think they do, but they don't. We're going to get into that here in momentarily. Verse, verse 30 says, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now he gets into the four, what, we, what we consider the fourfold witness. And uh, these four things verify that the claim of Jesus to be the Messiah and the Son of God. The first thing he says in uh, verse 31 of John chapter 5, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There, uh, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So uh, as we get into this, uh, we're going to understand that he addresses things like the law of Moses. Uh, and uh, understanding that as Jesus is setting the table to present these four things, he brings up their own uh, their own uh, legal system. And what he's saying is, according to the law of Moses, every fact was established on the basis of two or more witnesses in a court of law. So Jesus here presents four witnesses in his defense. And these witnesses aren't like these questionable uh, witnesses. As we get into them, you'll see. Verse 33 says, you have sent John, sent to John. And he has, uh, sorry, verse 33, if I didn't bring us back there, verse 33 of John chapter 5. So the first witness here we'll see is John the Baptist. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp that you were willing for a time to rejoice in that light, in his light. So the first witness that's presented is John the Baptist, and they listened for a time, and then they re end up rejecting him when he starts pointing people to Christ. So they no longer want to hear what John has to say. And uh, so they, they rejected him. Verse 36 says, But I have greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. So the second witness the four of the fourfold was Jesus' miracles, his own works. So uh, only God could have done them, and we discussed that when, when Nicodemus came. Now there are, there are uh, false prophets who have been given powers that we've seen in the Scripture, but what Jesus did uh, was something only, only Jesus could do. So the second witness, so the first witness is John the Baptist. second one are his miracles. 
Verse 37, and the Father himself who sent me, he testified of me. You have uh, neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. So the third witness is God the Father himself. Remember in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus tells them that they've not, only not heard God, they haven't seen him, and he's telling them that they don't know God. That they, the, these that claim to be uh, you know, leaders of uh, the, uh, the children of Israel, uh, spiritually, they don't even know God themselves. So uh, you can either accept him and his word abides, it says here, or you can reject him and the word and the spirit does not abide. So in verse 37, when he says, but you have, um, but you do not have the word abiding in you because whom he sent him, you do not believe. So he's telling them, you don't have the word of God abiding in you. You don't have it. You think you know these things, but you don't. And uh, his, his, uh, his word, uh, didn't abide in them because they rejected Jesus. So what he's saying is you can't have a relationship with God without knowing Jesus Christ and without being through. Remember first Timothy two, five, there's one there's one God and one mediator between God and man. And that's the man, Christ Jesus can't get to God except through Jesus, the son that God made the way for us to be able to get to him. Verse 39, you search the scriptures. So there's the fourth, fourth witness. So we have John the Baptist, his miracles, God the Father, and now the fourth witness is the scriptures. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So the fourth witness is, is the scriptures. He fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies in his first coming. Jesus Christ did. What he's saying is all those scriptures, all those prophecies that I that I fulfill, that you don't you, you search the scriptures, but you're like you're not understanding. You don't understand the map you're given. You think you've got it. You know, uh, we just did a corn maze on on Friday, and kids are running everywhere. You know, we've uh, we've got our youngest daughter Natalie, and it's uh, uh, Jen and I brought uh, Natalie and one of her um, her friends and. I'm, I don't know who has the map, and if they know how to read a map, but we're like we're running around. We actually found all the little spots we needed to find, but a map's no good to you if you don't know how to read it. You know the scriptures. These guys thought they knew what they were doing, and they thought they had everything figured out. And Jesus says, "You search the scriptures, for uh, in them you think you have eternal life, and these are those that testify of me." You think you know, but you don't. You know they rejected all four of these witnesses. All four of those things, they rejected John the Baptist, uh, they rejected Jesus' miracles, they rejected God the Father himself, and they rejected the scriptures about Jesus. You know, he continues his public rebuke of, of the, uh, of the uh, religious leaders here, and he's, he's addressing their spiritual blindness, and he, he had already said, you think you have eternal life, and these are the things which testify of me. They were completely missing the main point. Uh, of the law in the Old Testament, you know the Old Testament scriptures all pointed to Jesus, and you know the, the scriptures exist to point mankind to Jesus Christ, and uh, and they've missed the whole point. The religious leaders were more concerned about their own traditions and practices that they lost all focus. Verse forty, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another one, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, you will not believe my words. That's powerful. This is, these are the religious leaders. And now it's to the point where, oh, you want to talk about Moses? Let's talk about Moses. And he sets the record straight here. He says, you're not willing to come to me. That you may have, why not? Because of their pride, jealousy, self-righteousness, and sin. You know, they, they believed in eternal life through their own works in which they could boast, right? Oh, we're going to have eternal life because we're children of Moses. He's like, remember, Jesus is like, God can make children of Moses from these stones. 
You're of the you're of the, you're, you're, your father, the devil." And he rebukes them. Remember, you know, they even these these people get called you know brood of vipers. You know, John, like you sons of snakes, you get out of here. You know, that's how they were known. Jesus said, "I do not receive honor from men." So man, man's opinion doesn't change who Jesus is. He's laying that out here. I don't receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. You know, they love the processes and all about religion. But not God Himself. They they loved being in a process and in, in in a position of power. Uh, but but God Himself they didn't recognize when He came. He said, "I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, him you will receive." So they rejected Christ. Unfortunately, we read in the Scriptures that they will for th the first three and a half years of the tribulation accept the one that comes in His own name. They're going to be deceived by the Antichrist, for three and a half years think they have peace and everything. And then when he gets in the temple and demands to be worshipped as God, they'll realize the mistake they made. That's that's when things are... So he, he's just telling them, you're going you're gonna to accept one. You, but they rejected the truth, and that left them open for lies and deception. When truth is in front of them, and they reject truth, the only thing that's left is lies and deception. So that's where they find themselves. Jesus said, how can you believe who honor, who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? You know, they sought honor from one another rather than from God is what he's saying here. And that they love the public. We know that they love the public acknowledgement of uh, their power and the position, the public prayers. And, oh, hey, holy man, you know, speak to me and all those things. And uh, they, they love those things. You know, Jesus said, do not think that I, I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you and whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, this is, this is powerful when he said in verse 30, 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. That, whoa. Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> Scripture, Proverbs says, faithful the wounds of a friend, right? Deceitful the kisses of an enemy. He finishes out, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? So Jesus crushes everything that they think they're standing on. And he points to how they had missed the whole point on all of these things as he, this whole conversation. Go back and read it. Spend some time and study this. You know, they had trusted in the law, and the law requires 100% compliance. If you failed in the law, you're a sinner. And you have to hope that the blood of bulls and goats can cover it, but we read in Hebrews that it can't. Those are it was it, that just doesn't doesn't take care of it. It's Jesus Christ who is needed. So they're sinners, and and uh, you know, they had held Moses in such high esteem, but they're rejecting the one that Moses wrote about and pointed to. You know, they'd missed everything. Jesus said in forty-seven, "If you don't believe Moses' writings, how will you how will you receive my words?" First John, I think this might be one of the last scriptures I have for you. No, I've got like four more, I think, but. <laughs> First John chapter five verses nine through thirteen says, "If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God gave has given His Son. He made God a liar." Not a good spot to be in. Verse 11 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe that uh, in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There's no wondering. Remember, Will has taught us this for years. We, there's there's a way to know if we have eternal life. Do we have it in Jesus? Yes. John, who wrote this, what we just read, John, 1 John 5, also wrote the Gospel of John and the second and third letters uh, that we can read, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. God used him powerfully. And when, when the Lord is speaking to him and giving him this pointed of a message, you either believe God or tell God he's a liar. It all it, it's all founded on who Jesus Christ is. Everything, all of those 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 arguments. Who is Jesus? 
And John is saying here, if you have him, you have life. If you don't, you don't. Everything pivots on Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the one that was rejected has become the chief cornerstone, right? They thought they knew God's word and his will. And they thought they were doing his will, but they, they, they weren't. Important thing is not to be deceived. They were so focused on the most minute of things that they lost sight of the big picture. And as ministers of God, they were to serve God and love his people and to lead them in his ways. They were too busy honoring the traditions of man that Jesus had to publicly rebuke them. Uh, and uh, what we find here is that you know, through their actions, they're, they're nullifying the word of God. So uh, in speaking of uh, the topic of uh, purification, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 6 through 9 and 11 through 13 as we wrap up. Verse 6 of Mark 7 says, he answered, he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So this all started with the discussion of the Sabbath. And we, we, we talked about the Sabbath and that they had, they had just burdened and burdened and burdened. That it started with 39, uh, just 39 rules about what work was on the Sabbath. And then they, all these teachings for, you know, from 80, 70 to 200 and then 80, uh, uh, 200 to, to 500, 600. All those things were getting added up into the Mishnah and the Gamera, Gamera, Gamera I can't, I can't pronounce the word, but you get it. G-E-M-A-R-A, -E okay? Uh, and uh, Jesus is, is confronting them. In verse 8 here of uh, Mark 7, he says, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. You, you disregard God's commandment, and you've made the tradition more important. The washing of uh, pitchers and cups and many such things that you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition." Verse 11 goes on to say, But you say, if a man says to his father, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift of God, he's disrespecting his, his father, then you no longer uh, let him uh, do anything for his father and his mother. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. There's Jesus just you know, verbal punch right in the mouth to these guys of, no, you guys need to be set straight. So just remember, this is all happening directly after Jesus just healed a man. And instead of rejoicing in the fact that after 38 years, his life has been restored to him and he can now go provide for himself, get a job and not have to lay around and beg for leftover food. And, you know, can somebody buy me a new blanket and those things and, and uh, instead of rejoicing. So this is where we're coming after this whole discussion comes. Jesus had to tell him exactly who he is and that all power and authority have been given to him. Last, uh, I have two scriptures for you. Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23. He, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and, uh, and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All things are put under uh, the rule of Christ. So they're having the conversation with the judge. You know, when they're, when they're there to kill Jesus, they don't understand who they're having this discussion with. So the religious leaders have missed the whole point of ministry, who Jesus is, the word of God, and versus the traditions of man. And they were too focused on religious acts and uh, didn't understand that they could have a personal relationship with God. When you look back, and we've been studying in Genesis, and we see that Noah had a relationship, that he walked with God. He was a preacher of righteousness, as Peter called him. Elijah and Enoch, the you know prophet, the ones that walked with God, ones that were that had those relationships that they could look all the way back uh, into uh, into their own history and understand that you know everlasting life and victory in this life comes from the Creator, having a relationship with our Creator, with Jesus Christ. Last verse I have for you: Revelation verse one eight. Who is Jesus? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So who is Jesus? If it's not Lord and Savior, it needs to be. 
That's just flat out. Has and That whole discussion was about, okay, you want to confront Jesus? And Jesus goes, oh, well, let me tell you a few things about me. And he goes and he lays that all out right in front of them. They had a lot to chew on when they were walking home with their heads down, kicking the rocks, going, whoa, we, we got flattened there. You know, who is Jesus? You know, that we would understand who he is and be able to share him with whoever he opens doors to for us to share. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you just stand with me and we'll pray? Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that you teach us through them and uh, you, br you bring correction and, and uh, we find strength in them and comfort. And uh, The scriptures are, are sufficient for everything for us. We have everything written there to understand who you are and our great need for you in every situation. We pray, Lord, that these words would uh, be fresh in our mind and stay here, Lord, that you would use them and help us to chew on them all day and just understand more of who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.